my blimey word. Okay, so hello everyone. The opening of the show has been <coughs> has, has been a collection of sounds, um, which you will enjoy. You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com. We are the Bookworm. Are brought to you with Association of Starburst Magazine. Uh, my name is Ed Fortune, and I'm here with Nymphos. So, coming up on the show, I will be reviewing a book called Dead Leaves. And I'll be reviewing Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. So, our entire theme is coming of age, uh, as you've probably gathered. Dead Leaves is a book about the evil dead and some boys who are trying to get their hands on a VHS copy of it. Oh, sounds interesting. Red Queen is basically dystopian, like manual dystopian, as in... It, it's perfectly suited for what it says in the tin. We've been promising a re- uh, everyone a review of this since, well, like, forever. Yes. I'm looking forward to the review, actually, and the chat afterwards, because me and Ed seem to have uh, somewhat differing views on it. But we'll get to that. Uh, right now, a few news. So apparently Foils in Bristol has been reopened with Stormtroopers. Stormtroopers, there's one downstairs, guys. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like, I came into the radio and there's a Stormtrooper we, and I uh, thought, were you, look, were you expecting to see that there? Because I was not expecting to see that there. The no, Stormtrooper usually lives upstairs. No, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I can help with that. It, by the end of today, it may not be there. <laughs> but I am thinking of acquiring one, so this don't, is a, a strange don't, coincidence. Don't lure the Stormtrooper out of the station. <laughs> I don't need to lure it. It will come to me willingly. <coughs> he, he, they, they can't survive outside of... Of the TARDIS. Radio tower, Towers. Yes, they, they can't... In case you haven't worked it out from listening to the show previously, we are in, actually in Starburst offices. Starburst offices are upstairs. Mm-hmm. Bad Radio is in the middle. Then there is then then there is Stormtroopers, Tardises, and other weirdness towards the basement. There are other parts. That's of the usually place. where we keep um, Russell Smith. The, 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 <laughs> the, there is a Minotaur's maze of books and tat and things all the way across the office. And if you follow the secret ways and bypass all the way through and follow the various waypoints, you find yourself at the Bad Cat. Which, yes, is a, really which is a sci-fi retro-themed bar. So anyway, that's not news. You should know that. <laughs> we're coming you in know. today. We were, were examined by stormtroopers who were... What were they looking for? Some droids? Uh, I, I don't know. It said something, but I, I, my, my main concern was how do I get you out of here and into my house? So, uh... Nimpa, Nimpa, what you do in your personal life. Oh, shh. So anyway, some stormtroopers were helping <laughs> helping a Star Wars themed party, uh, a squadron of stormtroopers, uh, just this Saturday at Foils. It's, it's almost like A, it's Christmas, B, book launches of a thing, and, and C, Star Wars is about to happen. That sounds absolutely, absolutely marvellous. Uh, new Schwab titles have been uh, acquired by Titan, Titan Books. Books. Yep. Forthcoming Monsters of Variety series. 
first book. It's uh, planned for June 2016. It's going to be called This Savage Song. Sounds quite interesting. Uh, fantasy series follows 17-year-old uh, olds Kate Harker and August Flynn, two teens living at opposite ends of a grisly metropolis where evil acts breeds literal monsters. Uh, retailers are reporting a Christmas promise. Apparently, there has been a huge um, push for books for Christmas, which is a, oh, I can only describe as an excellent thing. There is that whole thing that uh, I know producer Al has been very disparaging of the whole thing of the it'll be a whole new, brave new world of authors. And though I don't think that's particularly true, what I do think is there's going to be a whole brave new world of authors out of the back of the likes of Harry Potter, etc., and Twilight. And the fact that people who grew up reading books and enjoying books for pleasure because there's so many more of them now. My, my issue my issue was less with Always a Brave New World of Authors and more, oh my god, this is a whole new thing that's never happened before, which I think is nonsense. <laughs> I think it's more now that the, the for some reason during the 80s and 90s there was a whole thing where people were like, oh, people aren't reading. And that was nonsense at the time. It was just... It's it was, always nonsense. It's always nonsense. It's Since the, the printing press was invented, it's been nonsense. It's <laughs> older people trying to make themselves feel better that younger people are younger than them and therefore probably know more so they're like oh well but, but they don't read do they like I did and it's like no they read differently reading habits have always changed and evolved you're just old get over it uh, <laughs> now th- there are to be fair um there are always books out there. I mean, at my Christmas list is is comprised of about twenty different book titles, and then a few other bitses. But the, the bulk of it is books that I'm dying. It's not even oh, I may like this. No, I'm dying to read these. Our our neck of the woods, so genre, mm. uh, genre literature is up. Oh and gosh, it is yeah. up and up. Celebrity c- celebrity nonsense is down. Yay. Um, <laughs> You quite like this famous person. Here, have a book to set on your shelf. No. I'm a fan of of good biographies. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I read uh, some time ago a Vivian Lee, um, oh. you know, Gone with the Wind. That was a gorgeous book. didn't she have a fascinating life? She had. Oh Did she have a thing of Olivier, or am I God. imagining that? Oh, yeah, they were married. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a bit of a thing then. It was, like, <laughs> um, the, the whole story and, and they got... Like, apart from the love story from that, but she had massive <laughs> mental health issues and all. It, it like there are some books about about celebrities that if they are well written, that's amazing. Most autobiographies nowadays are written by shadow writers, mm. and, shadow and it's writers. very yes, it's very mm. it's all about the scandal and 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 oh look at me, I've, I've I've overcome so much in my life, but you can tell that actually they've not. It's the whole thing where it's like it's a biography that is of someone's rich life. That's a fascinating read. And no offence to Zayn Malik, but you're twice. <laughs> you, you, you know, so, someone someone is buying that One Direction uh, biography because they're a fan of One Direction. Mm. And the pictures are going to get locked at. The book's okay. going to be skimmed. Don't, don't get me wrong. You know, those also serve a purpose. And this comes from someone that has all of the Take That box at home. <laughs> I've, I've got Gary Barlow's autobiography. It's been oh, on my shelf for the last it. five years. I've not had a chance to read it. It's brilliant. But as I was saying to, to Ed and Infer before the show started, I've got a decade's worth of books I have never yet been you able to what? read, and that's my plan for January. The, the Gary Barlow 
biography apart from the fact that yes I am a fan I love Gary Barlow and I, I love to take that but actually Gary's had a really interesting life in particular he's very honest about his weight issues mm-hmm. and how that affected him his career his inspiration and how he came back from that and it was massively inspirational to me anyway. being someone that shush let me finish <laughs> that deals with weight problems yeah. anyways we were talking about book sales for Christmas yes fantasy's up um, it's Celeb- all amazing Celeb- Celeb- down. one of the things uh, we talked to we're about to talk to Stuart Ashens on the show today Ooh. and he was saying that, that he was approached by various publishers because uh, he's like a YouTube celebrity and YouTube celebrity books are up mm. but, but he's not like Which is, a, that's a niche that's a niche <laughs> but he's not like the 18 year old vlogger he's a guy who talks about tat on his his bookshelf mm-hmm. so um, yeah he, what he wanted to do was not what the publishers were interested in and the path he took was he went via Unbound who are the uh, basically Unbound will take you on as an author and then they will crowdfund you so you don't just do a kickstarter for your book you get accepted into the Unbound publishing family and then they help you crowdfund your book oh uh, so they, they've had Robert Llewellyn on that before in the past, but Unbound are fascinating. I find them really interesting as a, as a way of going forward. Shall we touch very briefly on um, Peter S. Beagle and Conlon Press? Mm-hmm. Because we haven't really had a chance to read the full proceedings. We've, we've, we've speed-read it. Um, seems potentially interesting. Um, is citing elder abuse, um, which is sort of similar to a lot of stuff that's been talked around around Harper Lee last year. So, so for those of you who don't know who Peter S. Beagle is, he wrote The Last Unicorn, a very well-loved fantasy, fantasy book. Uh, he's a very well-loved fantasy author. Um, for the last decade or so, approximately, his stuff has been done through Conlon Press. Now, what we can say is that a is it a papers court case proceedings proceedings are going. It's basically it's gone to court. There's a whole legal shenanigans going on, and the the accusation and producer will collect, correct me if I've got any of this wrong. The allegation is that right? Allegation. The allegation. The allegation is that there's been shenanigans and Peter S. Beagle has been poorly treated out of mm-hmm. all of this. As have the fans, because there's a lot of fans complaining that they haven't got their books and all the rest of it. So we will we will we'll be keep watching an eye. It may be some time, because the court system tends to move very slowly. Should we talk about something slightly more positive? Yes, please. The new bookshop uh, in Cumbria is to reopen, or has reopened at this point, um, after being ravaged by floods, which is nice. Oh, the community yay. appears to have pulled together to, uh, to sort out the flood damage um, so that they can reopen. Seems yeah. to be quite a lot of amazing community spirit up in Cumbria. If if you are um, not British, you may not know that Cumbria, which is where the Lake District is, which is you know Beatrix Potter land and all that, um, has had severe floods in the last two yeah, weeks. It's awful. Absolutely and horrendous. Some of a lot of the infrastructure's have, gone. Yeah. yeah, some of the communities have been hit literally. Today, been working a week to get back on track and get got hit just to get hit yeah. again and it's just heartbreaking you know we 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 we're just it's just awful like i have no words and it is this is a first yeah i've got a friend who lives in keswick and the bridge that connects his the road he lives on to keswick town center no longer exists there's quite a few writers that we know who live in that part of the world simply because it's pretty it's nice and it's not expensive well, yeah. it is expensive but in a different way it's pretty it's nice and you can live there on a not a 
you know, on a on a writer's wage, <laughs> shall we say. So there's quite a few, and there's also writing festivals and comic book festivals and that sort of thing that go on in that part of the world. Um, it's also beset with holiday cottages and other people using it as holiday It's a gorgeous part of the world. It's, it's just heartbreaking, and obviously we're close to Christmas and people have lost their homes like literally lost homes and as you say infrastructure and and you know businesses are, are going through to struggle to, to get back on track obviously there's insurance but there's there's a whole set of issues about Cumbria which uh, which is not within the preview of the show I'm afraid no. so so we'll not ramble on about that sort of thing also Nottingham has been named a world city of literature by UNESCO yes I yeah, saw that that's good news because we were going to say good news and then we went into a really mm. sad place yeah. city of literature so uh, what are the major publishers that come out of Nottingham then is it it's Angry Robot and the Black Library <laughs> Um, yeah, including in, in the bid um, to UNESCO were the area's literature, li- literature heritage links to writers Lord Byron, D.H. Uh, Lawrence and Alan Silito. Lawrence, of course, very much Nottinghamshire-based, um, mm. not just the, the city itself, but the greater Nottingham area with the mines and the collieries and, and all of that sort of stuff. Can I have a small land? Yeah, where are you going to? I have a very small land. OK, so all of those sci-fi fans that were really smug about the spots spots the space marine thing and mostly you got it wrong and you did get it wrong and you can you can send us an email via at radio book yeah address it to add address it to me because <laughs> you got it wrong there you got the entire case wrong and you weren't on there were no good guys in that case it's a short version uh, but you got it wrong um yeah someone was telling me that was one of the reasons why there's been a, a kind of a scaling back in, in certain circles of sci-fi so brilliant We're by, by by fighting the power by through the power of activism I had quite a few writers brilliant wonderful well done um, <laughs> you're very you're bringing the good news down Ed and you're bringing the good news down we keep saying good news and then it just goes down okay let's move on to something a bit more positive let's, let's try talk let's about try 16 libraries in 5 to close can we make a good news out of that no no, no. okay let's talk about books Maybe <laughs> let's talk about you and me. <laughs> let's 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 talk about you first. Well, with you. Uh, well, well, at the top of the show, we did say that the you know the sales in genre books are up. Yeah, we should have put that for last, so that, like we would finish on a happy note. However, should we move on to your first review? Yes, I think we should. So, I don't know why they call them gentle listeners. I, 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 I did that way too much last week. Right, to, to, just to balance this out in, in the name of equality, and hello to you, violent listener. Fine, <laughs> yes, that's all it is. Talking about the violent listeners, um, <laughs> fans of horror might enjoy my next review. Uh, I'm going to talk about Dead Leaves by Andrew David Barkin. Now, we reviewed The Electric a little while ago. Now, The Electric was about... <coughs> Uh, it's coming out of a age book about a young boy um, who found a cinema full of ghosts. Oh, you know what? I love Andrew Barker. He's the loveliest guy. We met him at Edgelet. Um 
was it last year? Last year for the electric. Oh, he was lovely, and his workshop was amazing. But but the electric was a ghost story. Yes, it was. It was very really cool. Really gentle coming of age ghost story. Dead Leaves is shorter. Uh, it's more of a novella than a novel, um, and it's again another coming of age book. Uh, it feels it feels quite you know from the heart biographical of nature, which is much like the electric as yeah. well. Um, and it's about a bunch of idiots. So teenage boys then, who <laughs> um, are trying to work out what to do with their lives. So you know, some of them have a job, some of them signed on, some of them are trying to avoid signing on, some of them are trying to avoid having a job because they're like seventeen, eighteen, yeah. at that age where it's all about the pub and trying Your to talk to girls and the girls, and yeah. And they, you know, they don't know what they do, do with themselves, and they're not entirely sure. They haven't got a plan. Uh, and suddenly this life thing has snuck up on them, and they're not sure what they want to do. Really, what they want to do is chill out watch horror movies and all the rest of it Dead Leaves is set in the 80s during the, the video nasty horror panic mm. so there's a moral panic going on there's uh, a Mary Lighthouse we can we can libel Mary Lighthouse these days because she's dead um, <laughs> hooray but yes we've got we've got horrible people doing horrible things who are trying to essentially use the fact that there's a new technology and you can see scary movies at any time to uh, forward an agenda an oppressive agenda i think that's fair to say again you can you can argue my point if you want on at video bookworm but the backdrop is this it's the 80s uh factory isn't power there's a moral panic going on about video nasties oh isn't it terrible oh isn't it awful oh can't you get these scary movies um and the evil dead is the movie that everyone wants to see if you're a horror fan because it's really gory, it's really weird, and it's really strange. And can they get their hands on a tape? Can they heck? <laughs> so the, the 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 main the, the main character is is a young lad called Scott. He's seventeen. He's unemployed. He's not on the door. Um, you know, he's trying to work out what he's going to do with his life. And then he reads in in Fangoria magazine, and also he reads it in Starburst magazine. Mm. Those rogues. Uh, about this about this movie called The Evil Dead and everyone he's met who's seen it says it's brilliant I mean he's seen Last House on the Left and that was quite good he's seen Lieutenant of the Dead and it's alright but you know what he really wants to see is The, the Evil Dead what's even more inspiring is this Evil Dead movie it was made by you know a couple of jerks in the, in, in the States on a lark pretty much they, they raised the money from the local community got this movie together and suddenly it's this brilliant horror hit I mean if they can do it why can't I why can't I why can't I when I'm trying to work out what I'm going to do with my life and I don't know who I want to be or why I want to be I want to see this movie because not only is not only am I a massive horror fan but I'm also trying to work out what I want to do with my life and if I see this movie maybe maybe I could be Sam Raimi well can you well (laughs) It's, I mean, it, it hits, given the fact that I, I, you know, grew up in the 90s, I was a teenager in the 90s, and you know, it hit a resonance streak and that kind of, I don't know what I want to do with my life, I don't know where I want to go with my life, and that whole, there's a whole theme here where there's, you know, the, the all the characters are like, well, I want to do creative stuff, and people are like, what? No. No, get a job. Film school? Ridiculous. You can't do film school. Hey, what are you going to make movies out of? sort of a thing so it's that kind of it is very much this classic kind of coming of age very british story um 
what's there to it? I like the themes. I like the storytelling. I like the fact that it feels like... It feels like you've sat in the pub with someone who's a fair bit older and they're talking about what, you know, what their life was as a kid. Um, the fact that the Evil Dead itself is just a MacGuffin in this. It's, it's you know, it, it's the Maltese Falcon. Um, it's the chase item. It's the grail. It's the grail. They're trying to get this. But it's the, it, it's brilliant that, it's, that the Evil Dead, this videotape of the Evil Dead, Dead has been chosen because... A, it's a key to a different life because of what it represents. It represents creative life and a strange life. It's also, a for the time, an incredibly violent movie. It's a piece of contraband. It's illegal. It's morally questionable, again, in context of the, the time uh, of the times. Um, it's a great book. This has got... I mean, it feels a bit after-school special in places in the sense that you've got... You know, you've, you've got a police officer who's a bit of an idiot who is, you know, not really thinking about the consequences of the allegiances that he's throwing himself into. Uh, you've got family connections. You have a fight in a pub because, of course, you have a fight in a pub because this is a story about teenage boys living in living in a, a, a in a non-famous British city. It's Derby. Um, so yes, American listeners, yeah, you can Google Derby. Derby's amazing because it's got lots and lots of writing scene and, and kind of culture stuff going on. But you wouldn't you wouldn't know that to look at it. It uh, th- that's something that it, it appears from like the, the previous book and obviously Dead Leaves from what you're saying. Andrew Barker does that really well. That retro vibe. Um, I remember during his workshop as well, he was talking about how obviously he he was the boy in the eighties and he he remembers and and he draws out of his own memories uh, inspiration to to remember what it was like to be that that young boy or that young man and and sort of like relates to it he's very good at doing the i mean this is his second book and he's developing this theme that that it's like if you are british then it is so much harder to to work into the non-standard life to become alternative to break mm. the mold and you can either you can either become alternative and fall into this trap where you're not really alternative you just look it um or you can actually you know shatter the mold move forward and do something amazing with your life and be something new and different but you will be the outsider yeah not everybody's neil gaiman <laughs> uh, Essentially, and it, it's that sort of it's that sort of vibe and that sort of kind of that very sort of British sense of sensibility where no one will stand in your corner and go, "You go, you go for it." No, you go for it. That's that ain't happening. Everyone's going to tell you to get a job, work that's, down that's... to pit, work in t- call centre, you know, work for t- mobile. Um, <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> I like the self censoring there. <laughs> Nicely done. You, you know. Do that sort of thing, but whatever you do, don't make movies, don't write books because they it any money in it. Um, I'm not exactly. So, as somebody who is quitting a professional job after a decade because it's literally making me miserable and going to kill me with my health, to actually. 
actually physically go into making films. For the love of God, don't waste your life. Go and make the damn movies and write the books and everything because jobs these days are so insecure and, frankly, quite badly paid anyway. You may as well be poor doing something you love as being poor doing something you hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the story of Dead Leaves with fights in pubs, sneaky kisses, too many, too much beer and just trying to get your hands on 70 quid when you're on the door. Am I right in saying that there's a certain stand-by-me vibe to it in, in a very British way? Um, it would be a longer book if it was Stand By Me. Oh, and yes, the, the, but it's the vibe, like that kind of... It's that sort of a vibe without the murder. Yeah. Um, Apart from the murder of a generation's hope and dream. And, 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 and Andrew David Barker is... Um, he's a very good author and he's a very good kind of narrative, kind of homely storyteller. Um but he's on a different lane to where Stephen King oh, is. Oh, God, yeah. But they have some... You're right in the fact that they're similar destinations. And there is a comparable style there, in the sense that, you know, Stephen King has never really left his hometown in his writing. Mm. And, and David Barker has never really left the, the left his, his youth in his writing. He draws a lot from that power. See, I um, said something clever, Producer Al. Actually, I'd love to see what David Andrew Barker would do with a story along the lines of it. Actually, it's something Andrew Barker, if you're listening to us, here's here's your mission. No, Should you wish no, to accept no, it? No, 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 no. <laughs> don't do that to the poor man. Oh, I'd love to see what he does next, though. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, the there's a special edition of this that comes in a video case. That's awesome. Oh, that that's I, clever. I really like. I didn't pick that up though. I just got this. So tell us, tell us once more what it is. Who's it by? Who? It's Dead Leaves. It? It's a novella. It's by Boo Books, um, and you can get it via boobooks.net or we have put the link on our Facebook or on your usual usual access to books that you have. Stuart Ashens. You might know better as Ashens on um, on on that there YouTube. Uh, and we talked to him about his book, which is on the Unbound label. Let's let him talk about it, shall we? This is Fab Radio International. International. So, Stuart Ashens, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So, uh, you are in Manchester to promote a book. Tell us all about the book. Indeed we are. It's called Terrible Old Games You've Probably Never Heard Of, because we like short and snappy titles. And it is literally a compendium of really awful old video games that you have almost certainly not come across. So, why... Why terrible old games? <laughs> because I'm mildly obsessed with them, to be honest with you. Um, it sort of comes from two directions, really. It's based on a YouTube series I do of the same name, but very irregularly, because they take a lot of time and don't <coughs> excuse me, really bring in the views uh, that other stuff does, which is why I've sort of branched off in the book direction, because I thought, oh, hang on, this will work really well. Um, but, yeah, a lot of it is 
they're from very old computer systems, but very British computer systems, in, in the sense of they had a market over here. If you look on YouTube and look up worst games ever, you'll always get E.T. for the Atari 2600 and Superman for the Nintendo 64, blah, blah, and they're all very uh, US-centric. And instead, I've gone back and looked at things like the Auric Atmos and the Spectrum and the Commodore 16 and all sorts of various um, computers that nobody, well, didn't have in the numbers of these uh, Nintendo and Sega consoles in America and managed to unearth some things that, frankly, I can still not quite believe they dared charge money for. So what is the, in your opinion, what is the worst game? That's really hard to define. Um, it's, it's very subjective, but for my money, it's Squidge for the ZX Spectrum because it does not work. And they sold it for money and you physically cannot play it and then they re-released it on a compilation. I, I was amazed that they dared release it the once, but they released it twice, technically. It's unbelievable. You've taken an interesting route when it comes to, to this book, because you've gone through Unbound. Can you explain what Unbound is and why you chose Unbound? Yes, certainly. Unbound is like a semi-crowdfunding publisher in the sense that uh, you pitch a book to them, if they like the idea of it, and, you know, think they'd make a go of it, they put it on the website, and people can then pledge to the book before it's released and effectively pre-order a copy, generally a posher copy than the one that goes into the shops. And, um, yeah, we went that method because you may have noticed an awful lot of YouTubers have had books this year, and I thought, right, now is my chance to write my book on bad old video games. So we had a meeting with a couple of the standard publishers, as you do and they were like uh, so can we sell anything with your face on 14 year old girls the answer to that is of course no in my sense so they kind of look at their watch and then ask why you're still in the office and that's the end of that <clears throat> but Unbound were more far more interested in actually the idea like, oh yeah retro games yeah there's there's definitely a market for this and we sort of talked through it thought I was obviously very pleased to be able to write it um, went through that and it was immensely successful I think it was the quickest book ever funded uh, via Unbound we had the full amount you needed for the sort of initial print run within 12 hours I think of starting which was astonishing I had all these notes for what we'll do if we haven't reached it by month three and things like that and we did it absolutely literally overnight so uh, so what's next well I'm hoping I might do another book because there's a lot of other really bad games and people seem to be really enjoying this book so far um, also is a new film next year sequel to our film Ashens and the Quest for the Game Child uh, we are doing the sort of uh, well end touches of the treatment now we'll be starting to properly script very soon and should be in production by April next year we're currently looking at what can you tell us about the game chances? Well, very little. It's all very hush-hush at the moment. We're moving away slightly from the buddy-buddy thing and more towards um, a sort of comedy heist movie. So it'll be a little bit different to last time, but still with obviously the same ethos and the same feel to it. Are you going to do a book about chat, about that? I, I have been wondering doing a book about Tat. Um, do you know, personally, the old games excite me more. So I'm gonna, I might keep on at that one until nobody wants to read it anymore and then see about Tat in the future. The problem with the Tat stuff is a lot of it is quite similar. Um, I've probably got enough to fill a book, maybe? Hmm. I'll have a think on that. Talking about both Tat and video games, uh, 80s handheld co consoles. Mm. Uh, what is your favourite and uh, what is your worst? <laughs> 
I'm trying to think if the Atari Lynx was released in the 80s. I think it was 89. I love the Atari Lynx. At the time, it absolutely blew me away. You know, you had your Game Boy with these terrible black and white things, and then this amazing Lynx that was too big to carry and you couldn't run it off batteries. And yeah, there were a lot of problems with it. But it still holds a special place in my heart. I have a total collection of all the games released for it. And a working Lynx, that's quite an important part. Um, for the worst ones... Mm, probably some of the awful things you would get from uh, things like Tiger Electronics and that, where they were just branded to one game, and you'd have some giant thing you held in your hands with Ninja Turtles in, and it was totally unplayable. You just saw things glitch around the screen, it went beep, and then you wished to God you'd saved your money and bought a budget game for your Spectrum or whatever. Given the fact that I can get pretty much the last 20 years worth of gaming history literally in my hand, mm. or a handheld device, why are we so obsessed with retro games? I don't know. I think there's some, there's a charm about them you don't find when they're written by one person in their bedroom, often literally a teenager, and sometimes they're bloody awful. Sometimes they work. Um, again, going back to the Britishness thing, there's something uniquely British about some of the old titles. Things, games like Chubby Gristle, where you play like a car park attendant. You don't get AAA games like that from Electronic Arts these days. You know, um, the indie game scene is pushing that out a bit. But I think it was the the fact you were so restricted technologically at the time. It was interesting to see what people would do, but also there were no restrictions creatively. They didn't seem to care if it was an idea they thought would sell or not. You know, it's just, I've had this idea for a game where a baby runs around and picks up blocks. Brilliant. Make it. We'll sell it. Your, your new book is a collection of essays and um, essentially opinion. And your, your, your movies tend to be fantasy science fiction. Mm. Are you not tempted to produce genre literature? No, that's not something that greatly appeals to me. Um, I think I'd have to spend so long to get good enough to actually be able to write a good story. I've written many short stories and things over the years, none of them published or even available anywhere, but they're very rarely genre. I tend to go more towards sort of dark fiction with a twist, but I've not written anything like that for many years. And no real plans to at the moment. I'm quite enjoying the more sort of factual stuff. I like the research. Um, what massive project would you love to be involved in? Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm quite happy doing the films at the moment. The books are nice. Everybody wants to be in Star Wars, though. Well, I'll reserve that until I've seen Force Awakens, in case it's not very good. But if that's good, I'd love to be in a future one of those. But I don't think that's going to happen somehow. Um, uh, this is a two-part question, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's selecting books. So which book would you like to preserve for all time until the stars go out? And which book would you like to keep on you on a desert island for company? Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to answer it backwards to be awkward. Um, I think it would have to be one something like a comp large compendium of comics or something for one I would have to keep with me. I remember obsessively reading the Judge Dredd um, dictionary. I've got a whole such a great book, all these sort of little mentions of characters and that. I always get something more from it going through it each time. But if you're with it for a long time, would you want a story? Or would that get boring? See, it's a hard one to choose. I would want something very thick, with a lot of information in it, probably some kind of genre sci-fi thing, that I could read and get something more out of every time. Something like a Star Trek encyclopedia, something along those lines. And for a book to preserve for all time... Hmm... 
I would say something... I would go for some sort of dystopian novel, something like Brave New World, uh, maybe something even shorter, like The Machine Stops, because I think it's interesting to have all the fears of a society distilled into something. Um, Even 1984 is the obvious example, but it stands up as well as any Clockwork Orange, maybe, even. I think if you look at the fears of a society all pushed down into one story, that tells you a lot about what those people were like. Geek culture as diverse as it thinks it is. Ooh, there's a really good question. Let me think about that for a second. Hmm, is geek culture as diverse as it thinks it is? That that's a hard one. It, we do keep going back to the same things, don't we? I think as time is going on, things are widening up a bit, and also there's more overlap between different areas. Somebody who reads a book about dragons may now also, you know, watch a film about starships and things. Whereas previously, they tended to be more niche. I think things are coming round a bit. Hopefully, that will bring in more fiction and things which perhaps have elements of both um, I think we're getting there I don't yeah I think we're still a little bit polarised on certain things um, you know especially the more somebody gets into a fandom the less they tend to look at other things so it can cloud your view a bit I'm probably as guilty of that as anybody but, uh, I think we're getting there we're getting there and just to finish three quick questions uh, firstly Simpsons or Futurama ooh you see, I want, I want immediately my heart says Simpsons, but that's thinking early Simpsons. And when it gets above a certain point in The Simpsons, it's definitely Futurama, isn't it? I think if you looked at them both as a whole, yeah, I'd have to go Futurama, actually. Game Child or Game Boy? Uh, definitely Game Boy. There is no joy to be had from a Game Child at all, other than the moment of release when you smash it underfoot. And, and finally, Truth or Beauty? That made me think of Quarks. There we are. That proves I did physics. Truth or beauty? Well, there's truth in beauty. I think I think at the end of the day, we're all searching for beauty. And if the truth isn't too hard, maybe that's beautiful too. What does that mean? I don't know. Stuart Ashen, thank you very much, Peter. <laughs> Cheers. was the lovely Stuart Ashens and that's Terrible, ga- or, terrible Old Games You've Probably Never Heard Of uh, which is published by Unbound uh, written by Stuart Ashens we will review that probably in the new year now mm-hmm. um, but the short version is I really liked it and you should you should definitely get it um, that was a mini review I'll, I'll, go into <laughs> it. I'll go into it properly in detail at some point yes we only have one more show before we break for Christmas so definitely tune in next week and then, uh, and then we'll see words. you in 2016 a brave new world we can only hope can we so review second review second part of the show you are listening to the bookworm on fab radio international and you can catch up on um iTunes, you can uh, sort of uh, find us on Facebook, all of social media, Tumblr, uh, Twitter, uh, you can uh, find us on fabradiointernational.com um, just just literally Google up at Radio Bookworm and woohoo, we'll pop up. My review of the day, we did say we had sort of like a young adult coming of age theme uh, is Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard and this is a, um, a book published by Orion Fiction um, now this is very much a dystopian young adult book, um, and this, there's a very there's a there's a little mini review at the back uh, that says Red Queen is a clever blend of The Hunger Games, The Selection, Graceling, and Divergent uh, from Starburst magazine, Starburst magazine, um, which it may or may not be a an ad fortune quote. Totally him. <laughs> totally him. So what's Red Queen about? Um, 
in the distant future, um, post-apocalyptic um, world, um, it's a different world. There are kingdoms, there are kings and queens, and the people are divided in two, uh, the silvers and the reds. Um, this division is mainly because of the colour of their blood. So when you're born, they pinprick you. If your blood is silver, woohoo, you're special. If your blood is red, haha, here's a shovel, start, start working in the mines or whatever it is that you're working. Um, and the story follows um, Mare, Mare Barrows. Uh, and she's a red. She lives in this uh, very poor village. Um, it's not. It's not a sort of a medieval setting. So you have electricity. You have machineries. Uh, you have these people that literally work to, every day to the bones. Matt doesn't really know where she stands. It's really hard to get a job. You need to get apprenticed, and you've got to have skills. Her little sister uh, has skills. She she she's an, a, an amazing embroidery. She does embroidery on silk. She's apprenticed in in the nearby town and she works for the silvers because she makes beautiful things that silvers pay for because you know they're flouncy and trouncy and they're like pretty things um but mare doesn't have a direction in fact most of the money and things that mare has she's kind of stolen from other people she knows it's not the greatest thing but she's quick she's you know she's fast and and she wants to help her family she just doesn't know how she doesn't have an outlet uh, if you don't work and you're not apprenticed you get conscripted you go to the war and this war has been going on with, against the lakelanders which is the 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 next kingdom to the kingdom next to Norta which is the kingdom where Mare lives and this war has been going on literally for decades and the fighting over this little bit of territory that's quite fertile and obviously would, would mean um, sort of a more comfortable life for either um, citizens citizens of the kingdoms uh, but it's a mindless war like it's been on a stalemate for, for decades uh, because most of the people doing the fighting are reds and and they go and most of them die some fairly quickly others a little bit a little bit lucky and might even see the time where they're sent back home um and mare has seen three her three older brothers they've all gone um and it's getting close to her time her best friend kylan um he's apprenticed to a fisherman fisherman not a fishman, different thing. Uh, <laughs> um, and unfortunately, at the beginning of the story, the fisherman dies. Kylan isn't taken on by any other, so he's to be conscripted. Um, desperate to save her friend from going to the front and save herself, um, Mare starts looking around for options. She has no idea how she can save herself and her friend. Uh, and one... <clears throat> one night stumbles upon this guy um, who seems really nice and a bit out of place uh, he's dressed as a commoner um, but he, he's he's really nice she actually tries to steal from him and he kind of catches her uh, but instead of sort of turning her over to the authorities gives her some money to help um, and um, and they have a nice chat and then she gets home and and there's something about it and you sort of notice it because there are very little hints about it at the beginning of the book where she hears this hum humming in the background um and she, she kind of she kind of feels the hum 
of electricity um you know the, there's there's things like cameras around in particular there's there's a scene where it's first friday of august and every first friday of the month all the reds must go and see the show that's put up in this arena like place and um it's reminiscent a little bit of, of, of the Hunger Games. However, instead of being the poor kids that fight for their lives, this is a spectacle, a show of power. They go in and they see a couple of silvers fighting and it's basically a reminder that the silvers have special powers and there's nothing the rats can do to get out of that that thumb uh, where they've been put under. So they go in and they look at all these displays of, of uh, special powers. There's whispers that can whisper into your mind and make you things, make you do things. There's um, strong arms that are incredibly strong and can rip you apart. There's all sorts of... There's nymphs that control water. There's silks that basically... F- so fast and agile that you will never be able to catch them there's all sorts of superpowers it's like an x-men thing almost um and she hates it because she knows what this is she knows it's not oh we'll give you a respite for a few hours of work and you can sit here and have a show this is a look how powerful we are you will never be able to get like in power because there's nothing you can do against us you know we can literally rip you apart with our bare hands or sometimes without even touching you just with our minds um and so she doesn't think much of of this meeting with this random common guy she doesn't think much of this humming in 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 the background of her head she doesn't think much of anything um she makes some overtures and and gets introduced to this woman called Farley who um, is a rebel and offers her you know a way to get out of, of the village and, and not be conscripted but it's incredibly expensive she has no idea how she's going to get so much money altogether. she has no idea how she's going to be able to pay for this freedom of her and her friend and then a bunch of guards come and get her and you're like hmm and what's happened is um, she's been offered a job. She has no idea where this job came from, but she's been offered a job uh, in the royal court of all places. Uh, and so she gets to the royal court where it's um, it's Quinn's trials. Basically, they're in the process of choosing uh, a bride for the crown prince and his brother. Um, and um, and that's when she discovers that the common guy that she, she met it was actually the prince in disguise and he was moved to offer her a job to try and help with her family situation and try and help for her not to get conscripted and go to war um, and she's there, she's serving away and, and sort of getting used to the fact that at least she has a job still thinking about how she can help her family and her friend and all of that um, and as she's serving, the Queen's trials are going on and there's a bunch of girls that are literally fighting and displaying their abilities um, to see which one will be will be get picked to be the next Queen. Um, she follows the flows. She, she very, very much um, sort of understands that the choice has already been made through alliances behind, you know, the, the whole Queen's trial. It's, it's, it's a tradition, but actually... The, there's already a winner and it's this awful girl um that that's um sort of she can she can manipulate metal she's a bit of a of a magneto basically it's that kind of power where she can manipulate metal around her and 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 quite violently so and as 
Evangeline, this this girl, is displaying her powers. Um, she's she starts ripping literally apart the arena on a display, like trying to display how powerful she is, how amazing she is. Our poor mayor literally falls out of the box where she's serving a bunch of silvers into the um protecting electronic shield that's over the arena that protects the people watching from the displays of power within the arena and guess what she touches the 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 electric shield instead of being electrified she kind of imbues that power and then starts sending flashes of electricity out but she has red blood she has red blood oh my god you've touched exactly on the plot point (laughs) so um with with this weird thing she gets whisked away from the arena wakes up and basically gets told by the king and queen you are now a lost silver princess because we can't allow people to know that you're red and have powers so we've got the gist how does that compare to all the rest of it Right. Um, like the Hunger Games and, and Divergence. I've read the Hunger Games and the Divergence series um, and you can see where the inspiration came from. This isn't... Okay, you're not going to pick up Red Queen and go, oh my God, this is so innovative. No. All the tropes are there. All of the things that you love, you, you would love as a as someone that loves um, dystopian young adult, they're all there. There's a bit of a love story. In fact, it's a bit of a triangle it's not it's quite a bit of a triangle um there's powers there's a division there's obviously there's there's this revolution in the background that's going on there's the main character that's trying to live her life and gets sort of swept away with with the whole um political um agenda and becomes a bit of a pawn it 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 does obviously if if you've read the hunger games and especially it resonates with that so katniss doesn't want to be involved but kind of has to becomes the face of the revolution mary's very very similar thing whereas she just happens to have these powers she's never realized she did but now that all everyone knows they're all trying to make her a, a pawn in their own power game um See, you're more into this genre. Oh God, yeah. And I, I find it fascinating that you really like it because I'm oh, not yeah. massively into that genre. I read it and I thought, well, this feels like a remix of the greatest hits of. <laughs> you know, it, it felt like. I don't disagree. And it, it, it's. I mean, when I say it's a skillful blend, it is a very skillful blend. Yeah. And it's it's. It's a jive bunny and the master mixes style <laughs> kind of grab of different ideas and it feels to me like a really, really well done movie pitch. Um, I mean, I think you've mentioned before that it's already been picked up. I'm not surprised. This would make, visually, it's got all of the ingredients to make um, a really interesting movie. Um, um, as a first book... I thought because there's nothing again if you're expecting it to sort of like turn the tropes upside down don't bother it is what what it says in the tin it's a young adult dystopian you've got all of the ingredients there they're very skillfully mixed in and it's entertaining the plot is entertaining and it's got it's got a bit of a twist you kind of feel it and don't feel it if you've read enough dystopian you'll know what's going to happen which is what I felt but it was still pleasantly surprising the way it was done I I think for the Red Queen and and, uh, tell me if you disagree but I think if you've read The Hunger Games you've read Divergent you've maybe you've maybe played with the selection in Graceling um, you know you've you've maybe you you like Bitter Blue 
that sort of thing. You've gone through that series and you're still hungry. Mm. Um, then, then either that or as a first, you know, if, if there's someone who's like, well, I've not read The Hunger Games and I've not read Divergent, I don't really know what to expect. I think read feeding, this first. I think beating them the Red Queen actually is a good start. Yeah, and then work yourself. I would say if you had to get into that genre, read Red Queen, read the Divergent series and then top it up with The Hunger Games because I think The Hunger Games is the culmination so, of that. I'd rather feed them Judy Cagwar. Um, or, or, or maybe you know, or, or maybe the Hunger Games, um, but that's maybe just me. I think I, I mm. like I like to. The Hunger Games is a really, 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 really good book, and I think if you read if if you were to uh, uh, read to the Iron Fear stuff first, then you'd be like you'd get flavour for it, and then there's better to come. Mm. That I think th- there there are. I've read quite a bit, and I, I must admit, some of them I've had to put down because they just didn't do anything, like the plot was weaker and stuff. If I had to recommend, say, three series um, of of dystopian young adult, I would definitely say pick up Red Queen, pick up the Divergent series, and for me, The Hunger Games would be what you would read last because it's it's literally the best young adult dystopian to come out in a, in a few years um, but it does it for me it doesn't mean it will do it for you it's just my personal recommendation uh, Red Queen is clever because it's got all those tropes but it doesn't it doesn't make them tired like a lot of books I've read make, like they're tired and this is fresh enough for me in the plot that I enjoyed it very much and I thought I want to read more about this world I felt that the dystopia in the Hunger Games was a statement and its statement resonated with me mm. I felt that the dystopia in the Red Queen was a setting mm. If you say, I mean, it was, it was, it was part of the background and the, this forever war and all the rest of it, and it's like, yeah, I can see that, and that's a, that's a, that's a shade of nineteen eighty four, and it's a shade of Hunger Games, and it's a shade of this, and it's a shade of that, but it doesn't quite feel as tight as all of those. And by the by, if anyone says don't read the Hunger Games, read nineteen eighty four, what you need to do is stand on their foot. Uh, well, no, no, no. What you need to do is read both, yes. dude. Like read yeah. both, but I think, I think with Red Queen. Um, I see. I see what you're saying. At the same time, just remember, we've read. Like I've read the whole of the Divergent series, and I've read the whole of the Hunger Games series. This is a first book. It's a setup for the world. You're getting to know the main character. You're getting to know what's happening. As I said, it's not wildly different from any other dystopian out there. But the story is interesting. The characters are interesting enough, um, and I think. It, it's really important to give it a chance. And we're out of time. This is Fab Radio International. Merry Christmas and it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. Goodbye from me and for Hayes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starverse magazine, presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A.L. Johnson.